Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson and welcome to season three of the Functional Health Podcast. I'm trained in both biomedical science and nutrition, and I firmly believe that holistic and functional approach to health is fundamental to our well-being. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine, from practitioners to professors and everyone in between. With this podcast, I will share with you their stories, their expertise, and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives and providing you with simple tips and tricks to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Robin Daly. Robin is the chairman and founder of the Yes to Life Cancer Charity. When his daughter Bryony contracted cancer at age nine and with the immense difficulties the family faced making their own treatment choices, Robin was prompted to set up the charity to help others in a similar situation. So, without further ado, Robin, welcome to the show. Hi, Ben. Thank you very much. Uh, real pleasure to be here. Always pleased to talk about Yes to Life, my passion. Robin, just to, to give some context to some of the listeners who may not be um, aware of the charity, what is Yes to Life? So, Yes to Life is the UK's integrative cancer care charity. Um, our mission is to help people to access the benefits of integrative medicine. Uh, and by that, for people who are not familiar with the term integrative medicine, I mean the broadest possible approach to uh, supporting people who have cancer and returning them to wellness. So this, this is everything from orthodox medicine, that's a standard treatment, uh, as well as all the resources that have come from outside of orthodox medicine. So this would be from complementary alternative medicine, functional medicine, all these different strands of support that have been developed and the expertise that's there and available to help people in a huge variety of ways. Fantastic. It sounds like um, a lot of work to kind of bring all these modalities together. Yeah, well, well, it is. And uh, that, that's part of our job. I see that as well, actually, is uh, um, they've tended to be uh, working independently in the past um, and without very much communication. And of course, that's not a great benefit to people with cancer. People with cancer need to get a, a joined up approach to their um, to their well, you know, recovering their well-being. Um, it's very difficult to join up some of these with orthodox medicine, but it's very important that we do. And integrative medicine is actually the pursuit of uh, including all of these approaches <clears throat> under one banner so that uh, we can have a proper joined up way of uh, supporting people in a very rounded way. Yes, I mean, we spoke about this, we, well, we touched upon it a little bit before the recording, just talking about in some scenarios, some healthcare professionals tend to work in silos. And the idea of bringing these um, professionals together, we can really um, kind of capitalize on all the different expertise which are out there. So I completely agree with that approach. How did... Um, because I understand you, you started this charity, but I was wondering how did it come about? How did Yes to Life come about? Well, much like an awful lot of the charities we have, it's through somebody's personal experience. They experience a lack of support of some kind, a need there uh, amongst the public. Uh, and uh, having experienced it, they set up to do something about it. And that was certainly the case for us. Um, our family, our youngest daughter got cancer when she was nine. Um, as you can imagine, a massive shock to us at that time. It sort of came out of the blue 
Uber, it actually took quite a long time to develop. Uh, but due to non-diagnosis, we were hit over the head with it. And it was a case of like, you know, the next day we had to be in Bristol 100 miles away uh, with her having emergency treatment. So we went through three rounds of cancer with her between the ages of nine and 23. And uh, so we had a lot of experience of what orthodox medicine has to offer. Uh, and we also had a lot of experience of what it doesn't have to offer. And uh, we felt there were massive gaps there in, in care, basically. Uh, many of them quite commonly acknowledged these days, but not so much back then. And, um, you know, we just felt uh, that some parts of what we went through were almost untenable. And we really wanted to do something to uh, assist other people so they didn't have to go through the same difficulties. That is a truly amazing pursuit. And just to, to kind of touch on one point that you said there, you said um, orthodox medicine doesn't have to offer. Can you elaborate on that just mm. a little bit? Well, the focus of orthodox medicine is still pretty much exclusively on uh, tumours and cancer cells and eradicating them. And uh, it's not that that's not part of the picture. It definitely is part of the picture uh, under some circumstances and... Uh, can be a life and death thing as to whether that's possible or not, the removal or killing of uh, cancer. But um, it's uh, orthodox medicine never asks the question of why somebody got cancer in the first place. And therefore, they don't have very much to offer people uh, in terms of ways of uh, not getting cancer again. Of uh, You know, there's no talk about the environment in which the cancer uh, grew in the first place in which it spreads or in which indeed it receives the you know the fact that uh, you can actually create uh, conditions under which cancer doesn't thrive uh, if you're savvy and um, that that whole uh, approach to cancer is completely missing from orthodox medicine as is a an understanding of things like the uh, mind-body connection which is mm -hmm. an enormous part of um uh, people's experience and people's road to recovery or otherwise is a lot of it is hung around their state of well-being in their their mind and their spirit um you know if they're hopeless that's a very bad scenario for somebody to hoping you know if, if you know people are hoping they might recover uh then if they're in a hopeless state of mind that really uh, damages their chances of ever doing that Yes, I've seen a few talks with um, Liz Butler from Cancer Clarity who talks about this quite a lot, the emotional needs of people with cancer. And also, a, I believe is a psychologist, although I will have to check that, a guy called Gabba Marte. He talks about this as well. Mm. Like The power of the mind-body connection is extremely strong and kind of under-acknowledged mo most of the time. Yeah, well, it's, it, it's, um, it's something that's... Uh... It's been acknowledged in some circles for quite a long time, mm -hmm. but there hasn't really been the science to back it up. It's been more a kind of clinical experience situation where people have seen that this is the case and they've observed it. But uh, now, actually, the the uh, hard science as to the connection uh, between uh, all of these things, in fact, the impossibility of disconnecting them, um, is beginning to emerge. And the, the actual effects in biological terms of, states of mind uh, are beginning to be uh, seen and 
they clearly are very important. Yes. Now we've you touched upon integrative therapies before, and we've acknowledged that um, certain health professionals don't work together. And on your website, mm. it does say that the Yes to Life empowers people with cancer to make informed decisions about their care options. But I'm yeah. interested as to why you think that those who are affected by cancer don't have the tools available to make informed decisions currently. Well, uh, this is probably the biggest single thing I was trying to address at the beginning when we set up Yes to Life is that uh, in order to try and be well informed about my daughter's cancer the third time she had it, um, uh, when we when she was first diagnosed, there was no internet, there were no mobile phones. Uh, we found out what we could, but it really wasn't all that much, you know. But we mm -hmm. we were definitely thinking outside the box kind of people, and so anything we found that we thought could help, we did it. But uh, come the third time, uh, when this was in 2004, um, she uh, the internet arrived, and uh, you know what happens if you put in uh, uh, anything to do with cancer into Google. You Doctor Google. Yeah, yeah, millions, millions of results. Um, so I set out actually to try and find out if there's anything out there that might help her at that point, and um, it was just uh, a case. I was actually spending uh, twenty one and a half hours a day um, going on the internet, <clears throat> going, sifting through website after website, list after list of. Uh, you know, potential cancer therapies or things that could help in some way, uh, you know, ticking them off. Now, I've seen that one. That one looks like a hoax. That one's possible, you know, trying to categorize them all, trying to find out uh, if they were relevant, if uh, they could be helpful, if they're available, who's doing them, can I afford them? You know, just so many unanswered questions. It was pretty much a job you couldn't do. Uh, and trying to do it if you were the person with cancer, would, I think it's almost out of the question. Mm -hmm. So uh, the thing we wanted to be able to do is it wasn't that there wasn't good information out there. It's just actually isolating good and relevant information was much too hard. So we wanted to be able to bring good, relevant information to people much more quickly. And so that is what we've set out to do in a variety of ways. I mean, we do other things as well, but at, at the core, that's a, a huge part of what we do. And um, uh, so, you know, we're shortcutting this journey so that within a, uh, just a few, few days, somebody's looking at some genuine choices of things that could well make a difference to their situation, which is that's what people want. Absolutely. And you, you alluded to a point which is which is so clear in my mind that when you've got cancer, it's such a stressful diagnosis. You, you experience a, your mm -hmm. mind will be whirling, you know, trying to kind of take in all these different modalities and understand what is the best option for you must be extremely difficult. So having them all on one platform like you're trying to do and integrate integrating these therapies together, I think is brilliant. So people can make an informed choice about the best option for them. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that I think, you know, obviously we're largely pointing to resources that are outside of mainstream medicine because, of course, there are already good ways of accessing information about mainstream medicine as yes. to what's helpful and relevant. The rest that the problem is with, um, because they, 
the quality of what's out there is totally variable, going from a complete hoax at one end. I've seen amazing-looking websites uh, that look really the biz, you know, in terms of professionalism and everything else, mm -hmm. but based on something that was a complete hoax. You know, that's at one end, uh, to stuff that could really save your life at the other. Um, so uh, that's the kind of stuff we're trying to help people with. But even more than that, though, um, integrative medicine is... Uh, not just about throwing lots of things at cancer, but it's actually uh, looking at the way that things work together. You know, that's the whole magic, if you like, of integrative medicine. There's so lots of very interesting trials recently which just show the power of adding in one or two natural approaches just straight into ordinary, straightforward orthodox therapy. The improvements in results can be startling, you know, um, you know, doubling of life expectancy, that kind of thing, by adding in one natural ingredient. Um, so this is the area where there's the greatest power, I think, where all the resources that are out there to help people with cancer are brought into one place. You know, they're worked with together. There's cooperation, there's coordination between them. And we explore this territory of uh, which of these things can produce the best combination for or helping you know, in each instance. And I think if we do that, the possibilities are so far beyond what's achieved in our hospitals at the moment. That, you know, it's just terrible that we're ignoring it. You were just saying there that you can just add one or two different modalities into an, a conventional treatment to improve its efficacy or its effectiveness. And I've seen the studies before, yeah. even just looking at exercise, something which anyone can do. Yeah. Granted, you know, you might have to have a health, health professional to show you how to do the appropriate exercise for your current situation. But that is something which you can do, and that's empowering. And that can really mm. help your health outcomes as well. Yeah, well, that, of course, is uh, the cheapest uh, kind of therapy you can think of, mm -hmm. pretty much. And um, as you say, it's effective in a huge range of situations, and in some situations, it's very effective. You know, much more effective than unbelievably expensive drugs. And yet, most oncologists in this country are still not even mentioning it. I feel the tide is turning somewhat as this kind of field is growing. Well, it is. Uh, having said that, it's uh, we are a good decade behind the United States, for example, where uh, integrative medicine really is, uh, you know, is making huge strides now. I mean, it's been accepted as an approach for at least a, a decade, and it's now sort of kind of got feet under the desk, and it is, you know, all the major cancer centers in America will have an integrative oncology department and they won't be a couple of people these are quite large departments and then they're, they're looking at cancer from every angle um, unfortunately this seems to be a situation where the American style of healthcare system which we don't particularly like or uh, you know most people don't want that in our country uh, there are many aspects of the NHS we all know and love but this to me is one of the drawbacks of it is that uh, being nimble and responsive and changing in response to advances in science is not one of its fortes. Uh, it tends to be this huge beast, like a sort of a super tanker, that trying to change its direction slightly is incredibly difficult. And um, 
you know, we're, I say we're at least a decade behind at this point. We haven't really started uh, with integration in our hospitals. It, you know, the the only thing we can say about uh, oncology wards in this country is that uh, a lot of them now have complementary therapies there, which are uh, they're just supportive therapies. There's no attempt in any way with these things to to um, be genuinely um, doing more than uh, being, you know, generally supportive in make their sort of feel good, if you like. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only they're there is not because the NHS put them there. They're all run by charities. Um, in the best scenario, they might have been adopted by the NHS eventually. But anyway, it's it's a public movement. You know, the NHS. It, it can't be credited with driving integrative medicine at this point, unfortunately. Uh, I hope it picks up the banner soon. But anyway, I'm not, I don't want to be sort of, you know, negative and overcritical, but I'm just being realistic about the fact that Britain is in no way a front runner with integrative medicine. We're way at the back. In tandem with that, we have the worst cancer results in the sort of developed world. And uh, I think it's time to wake up. That is an interesting statistic as well that you were saying. Um, and the fact mm. that we are slightly behind, well, are behind the US, as you put it, is kind of a really interesting idea because I know the Functional Medicine Institute in the Cleveland Clinic, Ohio, opened years ago, and that's thriving. But we don't have yeah. a similar institute here, anywhere near to that scale. And it's interesting to, like, why and why it's just kind of being more accepted. We're now having the AFMCP, the Applying Functional Medicine and Clinical Practice, come over here and train clinicians and things. And it is growing year on year, but nowhere near yeah. on the levels that it is in the US. Well, I think, you know, this is the, as I say, it's the medical model, is that uh, if somebody uh, gets the backing to set up a clinic doing functional medicine, uh, and because they think the public want it, and it works, um, uh, if, it, if they're proved right and it does work, they'll have customers queuing up for it in no time at all And um, because people want solutions that work. And uh, so, uh, and as soon as one place is, is successful, then of course everybody else notices and it spreads. So that's where the, the business model does actually, it makes for quicker change. Um, but, uh, you know, as I say, people in this country, including me, are no great fans of uh, a system which leaves people who haven't got much money out on the street, basically. Yes, and just something that you said, pe- said there, people want solutions that work. And just mm. rewinding back to something that you said before, um, you've seen different therapies, some of them being absolute hoaxes on one hand and something being potentially life-saving on the other. How do you vet these therapies and how do you know which ones will come up on your website or that you'll promote is there a scientific panel or we've always relied on our scientific base we have a very uh, broad range of uh, practitioners researchers clinicians who who we're connected with who we've been working with for many years now we've been around for 15 years we know everybody who's out there and we also we work very closely with a, an organization called cancer options who provide the personalized information that we're able to give to people who call our helpline. So if somebody wants particular information that will help them with their situation, we we don't give it ourselves. We're not experts and we don't claim to be, uh, but we we get it from a third party there who 
who has the necessary qualifications and experience. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so uh, that's been the kind of route through which we acquire our understanding of what's working for people, what's safe, uh, what's uh, you know inexpensive, uh, who the, the practitioners are who are respectable, who are doing a good job, uh, and the ones who uh, are ripping people off or uh, uh, basing their work on science, which is really quite suspect. So we've done it through uh, our connections with experts, basically. Uh, we're currently setting up our own scientific and medical advisory board to uh, further that security, if you like, of no uh, knowing that we have uh, the best information we can. But um, it's always important to realize that in the world of complementary and alternative medicine, if you like, if we use an old-fashioned term for the stuff that's outside of orthodox medicine, most of the approaches are inherently far safer than many of the approaches of orthodox medicine. And therefore, uh, the level of evidence to make something worth trying uh, if you're in a desperate situation is the bar's much lower in a way. I mean, you know, you have to have a very good uh, level of evidence to try using something which is highly toxic and might kill you. Uh, you've either got to be absolutely desperate and you're going to take the slimmest chance it might work, or you've got to know that it's, uh, you know, if it's used in the right way, then it's got a fairly good chance of helping you. Um, so in my book, even though the same rules get applied to nutrition as get applied to chemotherapy uh, in terms of evidence, I think that's a crazy personally. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the the risk factor involved should be one of the one of the uh, criteria that's uh, you know part of the mix for evidence i.e good evidence for something that's almost completely safe because it's just nutrition uh, would be a far lower bar than uh, for a, a dangerous drug so um uh, and having said all that what well, the reason i'm saying that is because Inherently, again, because of the financial picture where lots of money is put into drugs, very little money behind nutrition, say, or exercise, the evidence for uh, most of the things outside of uh, drug therapy is always lower, is bound to be. So, uh, therefore, you're comparing sort of apples and oranges if you try and do a sort of straight like-for-like -like comparison between drug evidence and evidence for uh, nutrition say that is an extremely good point and it's something which i've um spoken about before as well not so much the evidence but the idea that if you use a modality which has the potential to have a benefit but has very little yeah. potential to cause harm or no potential that we know of why wouldn't you use it um and it's that exactly. kind of thing which i think people are worried about doing um but now, admittedly, the, the, probably because I'm quite biased in terms of like the people that I speak to are in this field anyway. Um, so they are kind of open to these kind of modalities, but I, I, I don't understand why people would want to not use something which has the potential to do good and no potential to cause harm. You know, you're always weighing up that cost to benefit ratio or the kind of harm to benefit yes. ratio, um, which can be skewed often 
So, yeah, I'm completely with you there. Um, you know, as we did with uh, my daughter, we did anything that we thought could be helpful and, and you know, wasn't likely to be harmful. So uh, that's what you do if you want to save your life. To, to dive into that a little bit deeper, um, when I know it was a while ago now, 15 years back or so, when your daughter was ill, you mentioned in the past that you put your own protocol together. What kind of modalities were you looking at using and why do you did you want to use them? Well, uh, this was, um, let's say, 15 odd years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, my resources were very different to now. You know, if I was faced with that circumstance now, I would feel in an entirely different position. I would probably uh, make lots of different choices. Mm -hmm. But uh, given what we had at the time, um, we looked into uh, a lot of areas. We, we managed to get some good advice, which was great, which helped us out with um, uh, a lot of advice around diet and nutrition specifically. Um, but uh, there were many, many things we didn't find at that time which were available, but that was just the nature of the beast at the time. You couldn't find everything. Um, uh, I, one of the things I found a bit late on, basically. Oh, sorry. Well, one thing she did actually do was high-dose vitamin C, which is something which is still a staple now and is finally getting the recognition it deserves as, uh, you know, a very useful therapy, particularly alongside orthodox therapy. Um, but, um, yeah, I found out about photodynamic therapy rather too late, um, which I think is a, a very interesting it's essentially an orthodox therapy really there's nothing kind of alternative about it in the least um but it's a bit of a cinderella and as much as it's largely been ignored despite the fact it is largely non-toxic it's repeatable you can do it as often as you like and it's applicable to any solid tumor that you can get a laser near to uh, through an optic fiber so um extraordinary treatment really and with huge potential but uh it's been completely ignored by orthodox medicine um uh, in the most alarming way uh, and i think really it's been ignored because it's it's uh, kind of too left field uh, in as much as it's much cheaper than orthodox treatment uh it's uh, uh it, and it uses a whole different skill set and equipment set so uh, it's an, it is actually an alternative to using, say, radiotherapy equipment or proton beam therapy equipment or these incredibly expensive setups, all the skilled people that go with them. An alternative to using chemotherapy, um, you know, so it threatens jobs and lives and industries, you know. So I think really it's, it's just become a Cinderella which has been ignored. Uh, it's tragic for people with cancer that's the case because... It's, I think it's a great treatment, and I've had I've featured experts on my show here talking about what it can do, and uh, but I, I can't see it really making any inroads soon. Um, I was in the extraordinary situation at the time my daughter was alive, and I'd found photodynamic therapy, and I was interested in it. Of uh, I was talking to her oncologist about it, and. Uh, the National Medical Laser Center, which was Britain's top place for photodynamic therapy, was part of UCH. And um, uh, Bryony was my daughter, was actually in uh, UCH, in a UCLH hospital. And um, 
she'd never heard of it, <laughs> even though the 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 you know the main place for it was part of her uh, her set up there. And um, wow. I found myself explaining to her what it was and how it worked. I thought, how extraordinary! I'm telling an oncologist about you know a cutting edge therapy uh, that's that's actually been uh, spearheaded in her own organisation. Uh, you know, and I wonder, well, what do oncologists read in their lunch break? Do they, you know, doesn't Oncology Weekly talk about this stuff? It's very extraordinary to me that there's no interest, and and you know, is uh, yeah, I was just gobsmacked. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, I'm not an expert in this field. I am, in all intents and purposes, a skeptic. But what you, the, all the modalities that you've listed um, are something which I definitely think warrant further reading so people can make the informed decision. And also what you've said there with like that oncologist not knowing about that modality, that just shows you that the science isn't being communicated wide enough or that these therapies aren't being communicated wide enough. Because I feel if they were, then you'd have more doctors kind of either shunning them or knowing about them and being being able to make their own decision whether to use them or not. Because you have a lot of cynicism because doctor not just doctors, I'm not going to say all doctors are like this at all, but some health professionals and even lay people will say alternative therapies don't work because they haven't read, read about them. They've heard one person say that they don't work and therefore they've taken that as gospel. And I think that's a really dangerous approach, when, especially when you're talking about life-threatening illnesses. Well, yes. I mean, uh, you know, I, one of my own interviews that uh, I had recently was with uh, a, a doctor from the uh, University of Iowa, and they've been using vitamin C, high-dose vitamin C. They've been doing it properly just the way it was originally uh, developed as a, as a treatment for cancer. Uh, and adding it into standard treatment for, for um, uh, I'm trying to remember, pancreatic cancer, I think it was. You know, one of the worst, basically. Yes, I think it was yes. pancreatic cancer. Yes, certainly one of the worst. And that's one of the, one of the sort of short death sentences normally. And they were doubling life expectancy by doing that. Uh, now, you know, the fact that that information is not available to everybody with pancreatic cancer is a crime. I mean, uh, you know, vitamin C treatment is cheap compared with anything that orthodox medicine has to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in line with what you were saying earlier, yeah, it's cheap and it's likely to do you some good. It's not going to do you any harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's definitely not dangerous. So, uh, you know, the, there is no excuse for the way that things like that are excluded. What do you think... With, with, with all your knowledge that you have now after years of researching this topic, what do you think is the most underrated or underused therapy? Mm. That's interesting. Um, well, probably quite a hard I mean, one considering many, you know so many. It's, it is quite hard. I mean, there, there are ones that are commonly used by a lot of people. And uh, the reason they got commonly used is because they're, commonly helpful to a lot of people i think and uh, they are basically i mean vitamin c is one of them i think um i think uh types of oxygen therapy would maybe come under the same uh banner as well uh, being helpful to an awful lot of people um other things it's you know 
it tends to be more a case uh, that some some approaches help some people you know it's it's more bitty there's only a few things that you could generally say will help almost anybody who's got cancer and uh well yeah oxygen therapy uh, seems to be up there with uh, uh, that's pretty damn good um but um yeah i think it, it's difficult to just sort of put my finger on on single things like that but uh many of them like those are ridiculously safe and uh inexpensive and uh you know if they're they again improve your chances by the kind of amounts that uh you know they clearly do in some case, cases uh people should definitely know that there are there is an option so let's be let's say that people have decided that they want to go down this integrative route they may be using um conventional therapy but they want to use integrative therapies but they quite simply yeah. don't have the funds for it is there a way to get funds for these kinds of therapies well um that's very hard i've got to say that we've uh, given out small grants over the years to help people uh right now times are so hard that we're not actually even able to do that i'm sorry to say um but we have done over the years, uh, but they are small grants. So they, they've not been able to help with, uh, you know, somebody's complete protocol. They've been able to support some part of it. Um, what we have done, though, because we've recognized that this is obviously a problem, is that some people are aware of the fact that there's a lot they could be doing, but they simply don't have the resources to do it. Um, we've helped people to fundraise themselves. So we've done what we call personal fundraising schemes, which are us supporting uh, people in fundraising uh, through Yes to Life through the charity. So um, this is this is something that was quite uh, unusual when we started it up, but now it's a lot more common. In that uh, you know we have the sort of GoFundMe idea where people are raising funds amongst people they know and beyond. You know um, that is now uh, an accepted idea. Uh, the advantages of doing it through a charity are quite significant, which is, you know, around the credibility of, you know, anybody can put up a GoFundMe page and say they've got cancer and start asking for funds. You know, it's much more liable to, uh, you know, fraud uh, and uh, them spending the money on something else. Um, whereas we monitor all the money carefully and make sure it's it's paying for uh, treatment and uh, so so it gives people a reassurance that it's being done properly fantastic and i'll make sure i'll put a link to that in the show notes certainly to your website mm -hmm. great one thing i was interested in after all your um research in this area how have you changed your life or indeed your family's life with these different kind of um after learning about all these different modalities Mm, very interesting. Well, I've got to say it's changing all the time. Mm -hmm. um, to me, uh, this kind of stuff is all about education. Uh, that's the route to change is education. Uh, you can't, it's no good just telling somebody they should or shouldn't be doing something. If it doesn't really sink in, it doesn't make sense to them, uh, they probably won't do it. So, uh, you know, I've, I've always been uh, kind of uh, health conscious, if you like. Uh, family has, you know, been... Uh, vegetarians for, for uh, since early 20s and trying to eat healthily and that kind of thing. But uh, certainly since setting up Yes to Life, the bar has raised substantially and that's been simply as I've learned more and more and more about things. 
things that once upon a time I would have thought were insignificant, uh, you know, well, it's not that important, you know, I now wouldn't go near them with a barge pole. You know what I mean? My yeah. attitude to a lot of things has changed hugely. Um, you know, there's nothing goes in that cupboard under my sink that I don't like the look of. You know, um, I vet the stuff that uh, comes into our house, be it from paint to cleaning stuff mm-hmm. uh, to toothpaste. No matter what it is, I'm interested in, well, what are people putting in this? Because, uh, I, you know, I now know beyond a shadow of doubt that, you know, industry is not looking after my well-being. Uh, industry doesn't particularly care about that, uh, and except if it's an industry which is it bases its whole ethos on being good for people, in which case they'll crash. They they get it wrong, you know. So you know there are some brands I would inherently trust because I know that's what they're trying to do. Um, but apart from that, industry in general is trying to make money, and uh, they will do whatever they can within the law. Uh, and the law, unfortunately, if you like, the regulatory bodies are more interested in looking after industry in general than in looking after me. So I, I don't trust them to do the job for me. I do it for myself. And uh, these days I'm concerned about everything to do with uh, my life from, uh, you know, uh, Wi-Fi exposure to light to uh, noise pollution. You know, whatever it is, I'm interested and I'm keen to not expose myself to stuff unnecessarily. Yes. I mean, some of the things that you've just mentioned there, some people might be unaware that they're they're possibly not, um, they're possibly hazardous to your health. So a lot of people might be like, what? But that's the thing. Like When you look into these different kind of um, areas, you realize that the more you know, the more you realize what you don't know. Um, and it's such yeah. a big field um, in terms of what can possibly benefit your health, but also what can possibly negatively affect you. And that can just be a simple mm. household item. You know, things have run away incredibly in the last 50 years, you know, in terms of the fact that, um, you know, there's something, every single thing has been tampered with. Uh, you know, all the things that we did take for granted as being natural and safe. Uh, you can't do that anymore. So uh, um, that's why we have to be a lot more savvy. But uh, on the other side, um, I think we also got much more savvy about the, I mean, the human body is an incredible thing and it can deal with an awful lot of uh, assaults of one kind or another, things that are not that good for it. It can actually handle them, provided we give it the right uh, fuel to do that. So I'm a big fan of the fact that if you, you know, I don't, uh, you know, if you try to avoid everything that was toxic in life, you know, you just uh, be in a sort of uh, box somewhere. You know what I mean? It, it's you can't. Uh, but you, so I I aim to minimise it and not to uh, unnecessarily expose myself to stuff. But you know, I go to London uh, most weeks, <laughs> and I uh, live there, in you London. <laughs> You're right. You get a real dose of all sorts of stuff in London. Well, what can you do about that? Well, you can walk around with a smog mask on all the time or whatever. But actually, my approach to that sort of thing is to think in terms of giving my body the best possible fuel to deal with all of that. And I think that's that's is a two-sided picture in that way, in that it's not just about avoiding 
stuff that's bad for you, but it's also giving yourself stuff that's good for you uh, so that you're better protected. You know, we all live our lives. We all have our, um, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? I don't want to say downfalls, vices. There you go. We all have our vices. But the idea is balance, right? So we've got to kind of still try and enjoy, still enjoy ourselves, but at the same time be aware that there's certain things which can cause, a, cause us harm. And when we can avoid them, we should. Yeah, and of course getting neurotic about it is actually another form of, of uh, is actually also bad for you. Yes, so, yes. Uh, you know, you, you can't look at your stress. People who have cancer very typically get extreme. If they start to look into nutrition and diet, they can get unbelievably stressed about it all. And uh, and the, the whole thing ends up doing them more harm than good because they're actually under so much stress. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't pay to get obsessive. It pays to use some good common sense, if you like, in terms of uh, what you described as a balanced approach, I suppose. You largely are going to make a point of not uh, dipping yourself in toxins unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So coming to the last three questions, I kind of ask nearly everyone these three. What is the biggest, single biggest health change that you've made in your life and why? Mm. Okay, interesting. Um, well, if I, if I think about just recently anyway, um, I've, uh, I've recently moved out of London. I was in London for a period oh you make me feel uh, bad now robin (laughs) (laughs) i i was i got used to it being in london but i moved there from the country interestingly enough and that was quite tough because i was very aware of what i was moving into um in many ways even back then but uh now uh, when i actually got to the point of uh moving out i realized what a relief it was to actually feel that i was getting back into an environment where a lot of things were already right and uh, I understand a lot, you know, people can't necessarily do that. And I feel very fortunate that I've been able to. But, uh, you know, I, I live in a situation now where, you know, the air is pretty good. It's dark at night. There's no noise. Uh, you know, that there's, there's even a, a spring opposite where I can get water. You know, it's just there's an awful lot of things which are, uh, they're, they're okay. You know, they're, they, I can relax about them. And, um, uh, it certainly feels very good. And, uh, you know, the, Connection with nature is fantastic. You know, if you can just go out and walk in nature, um, that is such, a, you know, such a wonderful thing, I think, for human beings on every level uh, to actually just connect ourselves back into uh, nature. And, you know, uh, an overdose of the products of man in terms of concrete, fumes, cars, noise, all the rest of it is, uh, well, it, it, it's very tough on us. And, uh, Connection with nature is entirely supportive and, and uh, yeah, health-giving in every way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. That's becoming um, something which a lot of people are talking about. I had Ben Brown on um, in the last series, I believe, or the first series, and he was talking about there's a Japanese word for forest bathing. And it's the idea that if you're yes. feeling um, certainly depressed or down, you go out into into nature, basically, and it makes you feel better. <laughs> and there's now a lot of studies showing you that even if you put um, a picture of a natural environment in a hospital room, it can have profound effects on sense of well-being. And it's the same if there's a window looking onto a garden, for example. Um, it can have uh, mm. m- much... Uh, sorry... Um, a great benefit on kind of their mental health. 
So it's really interesting. Mm. I couldn't agree more with what you said there. And it's something which we don't really get a lot of if you live in London and you do the general, you know, rat run to work, rat run back home, eat and then go to bed, which I think a lot of people are guilty of or certainly do. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, it's right. And in a a certain way, it's common sense that that's the case. But uh, these days we have the science of the bleeding obvious is what I call it, Um, (laughs) where you have to prove that things which are, you know, just common sense are actually true. Uh, It is happening, but so hopefully we'll come around full circle back to some common sense thinking about uh, things that are good for people. I hope so. Second question on on my list is how can healthcare become more integrated with different cancer therapies? How do you think it can? It's interesting. Well, that's something that you can imagine. I spend an awful lot of time thinking about. Um, I think it is happening. And in this country, I have this picture in my mind that it's going to be a case of a bit of a dam break, you know, because the pressure behind uh, the need for this change is building. It's because it's building with the public mm-hmm. primarily, and the public have become a force since they got the internet. Uh, so we're a fairly recent player in the field. Prior to our arrival, there was only uh, business, uh, the government, and the medics, and they made up their mind between them what we could have. Um, now the public is uh, saying, hey, wait a minute, you're not listening to us. Uh, we want other things, and they've been paying for other kinds of therapies in billions uh, recently. You know, stuff. Even though we have a free healthcare service, people buy complementary therapies uh, because they help them. You know, they go to a nutritionist because it helps them. Um, so this pressure for change is building and building, and eventually, uh, I hope it will change very quickly because it'll just be the pressure will be too much, and the system will have to change. Um, there's a financial imperative coming up as well because the old way of thinking about it uh, simply is unaffordable, as everybody now knows, and it's going to bankrupt the nation. So um, the kind of uh, the functional medicine way of viewing health, if you like, which you know, in which you uh, you look at root causes, you look at keeping well, uh, all the things that support good health, is pretty much essential if we're not to just go bankrupt. So. I think it, you know, it could happen very quickly. Um, I, uh, the public carries on, I think, more and more wanting this kind of choice in their healthcare. And uh, mentioning functional medicine, I'm very heartened that uh, a lot of the people, a lot of the people who are going along to uh, train uh, in functional medicine are GPs. They seem to be in the vanguard of people who are probably fed up with being told which drug to prescribe by their computer and then just doling them out, and uh, do actually want some resources to be able to really help people to get well. And uh, it seems to uh, be catching fast. So um, I think the GPs could be, uh, you know, teaming up with the general public uh, to move us in this direction. So uh, I'm optimistic that the old school approach hasn't got too much longer to run before it creeps and gives way. And last but not least... Can you give the listeners three tips to help improve their health and well-being from today? Three. Okay. Three. Magic number. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, look, um, you know, there's one area in which 
lots of people are interested, and uh, but there's the, the biggest disagreement is around nutrition. I mean, you know, the the sort of diet war of different methods and things, uh, a lot of them di- diametrically opposed to each other, goes on and on. And uh, diet books come out, new ones several a year, brand new approaches. Um, it's all very confusing, uh, but I think for myself, the, if I, there's one thing to say about diet and nutrition which sort of trumps all of that, is that far more important, I think, than what you eat is what's been done to it. Uh, in just the same way as I was speaking earlier on, that industry is tampered with everything. It's tampered with every piece of food that's sitting on most supermarket shelves, you know, uh, to the extent that I don't consider that food. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a product of food chemists and this kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so what's been done to it is the most important thing. So getting eating food that's what I would call real food is the most important aspect. Of, you know, it's more important than what it is exactly you eat. So, you know, fresh, genuine food, you know, whether you're somebody who eats meat, you get the best meat. If you're eating, uh, you're a vegetarian, you know, you, you just get, uh, you know, really good quality dairy products. You get really good quality vegetables. Uh, you get the best you can afford. I mean, and I appreciate it costs money. I spend a lot of money on food. I don't care. I don't I don't mind that I spend much more than I could on food because when I'm eating it, I think to myself, yeah, this is good stuff. And uh, so I think on two levels, it's doing me good. One is the level of the fact that it is actually genuinely good fuel going into me. The other one is the psychological peace of mind of knowing that I'm eating good stuff as well. Um, so... Uh, that would be that my first one is to eat real food. A very good one. You've got two more, Robin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm thinking hard. Um, <laughs> as you pointed out, um, an awful lot of people can have a life which is largely made up of rush, stress, and doing what they have to do. And uh, the the benefits of finding some way of having a little gap in that can't be overstated, I think. Um, I mean, there are actual sort of practices, if you like, which are aimed at doing that, uh, you know, meditation. And I think they're very valuable, uh, particularly to people who are in those situations. But the more you're holding into a corner with, uh, you know, living in a, in a kind of continual rat run, the more things like meditation could be a benefit. Um, but it doesn't have to be meditation. And I think there is a host of other ways in which you can gain the same kind of uh, uh, space to just be yourself, to uh, not be feeling uh, under stress and all the time. And that could be anything from uh, things like we spoke about re- uh, relating to nature in some way, getting out in nature uh, and it doesn't have to cost money with, you know, loads of lycra and expensive sporty gear. You could just walk, you know. Getting out into nature is great. Actually pursuing a hobby is great. Uh, you know, if you love music, well, make some time for it. You know, just carve out some time for something that really matters to you. So, um, uh, yeah, I, that that would be my number two. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got quite a few within that number two, including stress relieving meditation and picking up a hobby or doing something that you love. So 
If you can't I think, think of a third, just... I think you've covered it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I might have a third. Now I have got a third. If you find that you're, uh, I, yeah, I put it, set a lot of store by relationship uh, when it comes to health and well-being. And um, if you find that you either ha- don't have many uh, relationships, so you're, you know, you're spending an awful lot of time on your own uh, for whatever reason, or the ones you do have are just more stress, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're not the right ones for you. I think this is, uh, it's a difficult thing for people to, to address, to do something about, but I think it's important and I think it's good for people to uh, know that uh, it, it would be important to them to kind of find their people, uh, whatever that is, whether it's just a partner or whether it's a group of people who are like-minded, but to actually find some people with whom you feel at home uh, that, and um, I think also that you know this is something that's got lost is the sense of community, particularly if you're in a city. You know, I know far more people locally to me here where I live now than I did when I lived in London, um, uh, and that's the nature of the beast. But actually, making those tiny efforts to build those uh, links with people who are around uh, and to interact with them and to help each other out to be uh, supportive to other people so that they might be supportive to you one day as well. Um, All of those things um, can make a huge difference, not only to yourself, but to all the people around you. And I think it's this acknowledgement that we're not actually isolated individuals. We are part of a a whole here. And that if we live in a way that actually reflects that which means that we are interested and we communicate with and we engage with those around us in meaningful ways then i think we're all the healthier for it fantastic and just to wrap that up quite neatly in a bow we have be mindful of what you're eating stress less meditate and kind of do something that you love and also make sure that you support someone within your life and do things for the people would you say that's an accurate interpretation in short that'll do in short just to just to wrap it up now robin it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you on the show i have hugely appreciated your time and work that you've done to empower people affected by cancer and give them an informed choice of what you're doing but also talking about the integration of health professionals making sure that people don't work in silos i think is hugely important but before you go can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up? Certainly, yeah. Well, uh, the name of the charity is Yes to Life, and uh, yestolife.org.uk is our website. So, so do visit there. You're going to find a bit of information about everything there, uh, from the services we offer directly to people with cancer to the ones that are more widely uh, targeted at. Uh, the public, uh, professionals, and and the people with cancer. So, uh, is largely what we do is divided into direct support of one kind or another and education. Um, and uh, educational events are very important to us. Uh, we've got uh, our next conference is coming up on March the twenty first in Houston, and uh, it focuses in on nutritional science and cancer this time. Um, so there'll be some controversial stuff in there. So we're kind of exploring the growing consensus about some things and then the huge anomalies in other areas. 
trying to see what we know, what we don't know, what's still to be found out. Um, we're going to have some fantastic speakers at that. So look it up. It's going to be uh, strictly limited on places, this particular conference. So if you're keen to come, book up now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's March 21st in Houston. So so that's our next major event coming up. Um, otherwise, for uh, if you're interested, you're someone with cancer and you would like some help, uh, have a look on, on the resources side of the website where we have uh, details about our helpline, details about our website directory, which is has plenty of information in there. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. And just to clarify, everything that we'll we have spoken about today can be found in the show notes now robin thank you so much again for speaking with me on the show and i do hope that we can do this again soon me too it's been really great thank you very much ben thank you for listening to the functional health podcast you can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook or our website and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support. 